everybody. I hope you are doing well during this pandemic. I'm Victor. And I'm Nick. And this is my team. And we have a guest who's going to be joining us today. Would you like to introduce yourself, mister? Hi, everyone. I'm Phil Jimenez, and I totally just interrupted your intro. Very (laughs) sorry about that. (laughs) Uh, that's fine. <laughs> and if y'all don't know who Phil Jimenez is, then we're happy to you, you need to like. No, no, no. <laughs> a lot of people don't know me, and that's totally fine. But that's but that's weird to me because I feel like they should know who you are. Like you have been in comics for many, many years. You wait. Have- hold. I I feel like I'm just looking at you, and I feel like I've been in comics longer than you've been alive. But you can't, though. Really? No. Just, that's, a, that's, that's a compliment to you. Yeah. So <laughs> oh. like, we're almost the same age. But um, I know, which blows my mind because you do look about 15 years younger than me. Oh, God, please. Oh, um, here y'all go. Oh, I, I have right. the grace. I mean, can't you, or I tell you compliments. Oh, you just have to look at pictures right now. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, so I've been, I've been writing and drawing uh comic books now since 1990 yes uh although my first published work came out in 1991 so i've been working for primarily dc comics but marvel comics too for 30 years 30 years this year is my anniversary 30 years Wow. i got my first job was in licensed publishing they were going to oh you i don't know if you know this it's very funny i got hired to do illustrations i did re-ink a bunch of who's who drawings mm-hmm. of female characters. I think I knew that. For, for a line of dolls. And my job was to make their boobs smaller <laughs> and to close up any holes in their costume like a Power Girl or Starfire, because this oh. is for girls' dolls, right? <laughs> and uh, and uh, I remember that my, my bosses really liked the way I inked eyes were appalled at how at the tools I was using. They're like, you need to use this, this, and this. But it was the first time I ever became aware of um, this need to close up costume, right? Mm-hmm. Um, for a different market. Like, oh, wait, you mean girls don't like Starfire's costume? Is that possible? Right? Like, it was, it was very fascinating to see yeah. that. That was the first time I ever became aware of it, that they, that, about the audience and who's actually looking at the stuff. That I'm not the only person in the audience. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of funny you mention it because I remember when I was in high school, um, I used to draw a comic based off these Amazons from a different dimension. <laughs> and the way they look, I posted it yesterday, but the way they look, with, it's pretty much from a male gaze, but I didn't really know that. Same, same. like they are with, the boobs, high boots, high heels, capes, split down the dress. They, they <laughs> I'm like, they're fighting in heels. I have two characters, one's in two fights in heels. And I'm like, what was I thinking in the 90s? But I was so into that look. And now I look at it, I'm like, wow, I was really... You can see the queerness in it, but you can also see the maleness in it. Oh, so it's funny. So I've done this entire loop. So I went from loving heels and all that, so I would say kind of dragginess of that kind of costume to being very much like 
no women wear heels and their bodies have to be covered up except for Wonder Woman. But like, I was very conscious of that and their body types. And now I'm suddenly swung back to like, you know what? I like heels. <laughs> and, and, um, and I think part of it is my explanation. And I, I don't necessarily, I wouldn't necessarily draw characters like that. Don't get me wrong. Like, um, but I've decided I'm not, uh, it's just, it's an aesthetic that appeals to me greatly. But I totally also identified as male gaze. It's queer male gaze for sure. It's making women into Barbie dolls. Um, and I 100% get it, but I would be lying if I said I still don't love it. It's one of the reasons I think we were talking about this online, like that first Charlie's Angels movie still makes me happy mm-hmm. because, I mean, I actually like parts of the second one too, because there are three very different kinds of women, although they are all sort of thin bodied. But they're a little butch, they're pretty, like they're sort of, you know, done up, but they're all fighting, doing um, uh, martial arts in heels. And it just makes me happy. And it's just, because it's so ridiculous, I think. Yeah. On some level, it's, it's all so ridiculous. And so when we zero in on superhero or fantastical things on costume elements that don't make sense, I am fascinated by that because I'm like, it's all ridiculous, right? Like, um, any uh, you know, any of these superhero characters or ninja characters or whatever, they're so fantastical. I I stop being caught up in, often in what they're wearing because I'm like, that's not me. Like, because uh, I, I remember someone asking, like, well, would you wear that costume? I'm like, no, because look at me, right? But I love that they wear this. Co- I love that these fantasy characters wear this costume. And then to wrap up, I also realized that how much people project themselves on the characters yeah. and uh, how much like cosplay has become such a huge thing that they want to be able to perform these characters they love so much. And things like heels can make that really difficult for people, but yeah. not for me. <laughs> no, I, it's funny because I think about like, if I was that character, would I wear that stuff? And I think about storm and I think about how storm was, it was, you know, portrayed how Celine, the Black Queen, all that. I, was oh, like, yeah. oh, I would, if I could, I would do that. He I would too. <laughs> and not really think about it or, you know, I've always been fascinated with that. And it's so funny because I think about how I was so fascinated with the way, and even though I have struggles with Emma. <laughs> uh, oh, yes, you do. I forgot about no, that. No, we're not going to front Emma. Well, we're not gonna <laughs> I know. I feel, okay, I feel like I'm the only one who does not really like Emma that much. I have issues with her. Okay. But everybody else love her. She's a gay icon, and I can't take that from no one. <laughs> I mean, I not too a better choice, but, because Celine, to me... Celine would kick Emma's ass. If they was in, like, a street fight, yeah, yeah, Celine would kick Emma's ass. When I was a kid reading, when I first read Celine, I was like, who, what is this? Who is this person? And every time, like, I saw her in the mutants, you see her in something else, she's right. doing this. She's, she was amazing. Yeah, and I'm like, this is the woman, this is a character that needs to be in everything. I need to see this type of character in everything. And it's so funny now, because I was just recently, like about a month ago, or a couple months ago, I loved Tandy Newton. And for some strange reason, I was like, you know, y'all can cast Tandy Newton as Celine, and I will believe it, and I will be... I would believe it a hundred percent. Oh my God, that is genius. I have a question about this though, right? And it does make me wonder, 
and I, I and this we can talk about this a lot, but because I feel like at the end of the day, and I and my language might get messed up here, so please correct me. Uh, both Celine and on some level Emma Frost are are I still think sort of queer male and in some cases queer white male ideals, right? They're not feminine ideals. They're not female. I don't know a lot of women that are like, I want to be just like the black queen. Um, <laughs> but, I know, but I know a lot of guys that love the black queen or love Emma Frost, primarily gay guys. And I'm very, very interested in the ticks of sensibility that, make, that, that push a character into that zone, right? Like, I'm fascinated by the number of men, I guess queer men, who would love to be just like that, that have that sort of fierceness and... I always say like the thing about Storm, what I loved about her is when she walked into a room, my take on her is everyone would turn, they would gasp. Like they would be breathless when Storm walked into a room, um, just naturally, because that's the sort of figure she would cut, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think um, Emma on some level, I think would be a very, if she walked into a room, you would know she was there. Right, and I think there's a psychology about that that's very, very appealing to certain queer men. I could be wrong, but I've, I've been trying to figure out what the what all that is—the heels, the costume. I mean, I talk about like I think of Emma as a drag queen, right, mm-hmm. as opposed to an actual female character. Um, uh, again, please check my language, sort of uh, the gender specificity of my language, but. Does that read? Does that make any sense? What I'm talking about? I think it does. I think Emma, on some level, uh, a lot of queer men identify with her, not for all of the the good that she's done, but a lot of the bad, like how manipulative she's been, how conniving, and in some way they see themselves, they see qualities of that in them especially when it comes to cliques within the gay community, especially. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And that's just, I don't know, my point of view from it. But I see that a lot. Yeah. I also think that she, as you mentioned, the fierceness about her, it's she says the things that we wish we could have said to our bullies or to people who have really put us down. She's the one who says all these things, like the way she talks to Shaw. And um, <laughs> or the way she, her and Jean, the banter between her and Jean in the past, even up to now, it's always something. Even the banter between her and Storm, those are the best. Those particular parts. I remember there was a time where, um, oh, Emma was talking about her being, oh, now you're a queen and everything, you know. <laughs> and it was like when she was married to uh, Black Panther, and I was like, I always loved, and that's one of the reasons why I. I never really liked Emma because I, I think about what she did to Storm twice, um, way back, you know. Okay. When, I think about it all the time. And I'm like, I just never liked you. But then I think what really, really tied it up for me with Emma was when she got with Scott. And I was like, okay. And then Jean died. And I was like, <laughs> okay. And it's so funny because when you threw that comic, um, and I remember I was so mad about that. I, I was literally mad about that comic. I remember I read that comic and I literally threw it down. I was like, no, <laughs> we're not doing this. We're not doing this. She is not going to die because of this stroke. I was like, not. You I, know she didn't die of the stroke, right? I've told you that story. 
Oh, no. So the original script, I like, this is a little nugget. I think Grant Morrison forgot. Sorry, Grant. <laughs> in the original, so do you remember in the early run where um, Frank quietly was drawing it? Mm-hmm. Uh, and the, the um, X-Men had all these nanobots in their body and Jean was going to die and Zorn comes in and heals them. I don't know if you remember that, but it was a big sequence. Mm-hmm. And the idea here was that Zor didn't heal them. It was Magneto, and he just shut the nanobots off. Mm-hmm. And in that moment, he had turned them back on, and that's what actually killed Gene. It wasn't a cosmic heart attack. Oh. It, was a, he, it was a pickup from this, from Zorn's, I think, introduction or something, like not the annual, but one other thing. And I remember reading the script and going, this is so genius because I had remembered that sequence uh, uh, from like two years previous. I'm like, oh my God, it's a perfect loop. It's a perfect spin. Mm-hmm. And then he's like, Gene, you've died of a, you're, you're dying of a cosmic heart attack. And I was like, what? And I remember <laughs> looking and being so, because I was drawing from a, a plot with very little, he scripted it later. I was just drawing from full plot uh, with some dialogue bits. So I was just like, this is amazing. And I'm sure that when he got those pages and he was cranking up so fast, he forgot or changed his mind. Or an editor said, nobody will remember that. Well, I remembered that. And that's why I thought <laughs> it, was so, it was so perfect. Yeah. Right? Especially because Magneto had been hiding, disguising himself as Zorn. Anyway, there's your bit of comic trivia Ooh, for the day. Okay. But yeah, but then soon after, it was that one, it was that one, comic where it was like okay now i guess we can get together and i was like no you can't and there was that is another comic that when rachel it has it's a cover of where i think it's rachel is crying to alex and i'm just like don't do that because i'm already a rachel fan as it is and then i i'm just i was like i'm rachel this entire time because every time she saw emma she just gave her that look even though emma helped her in one episode but i just feel like i I struggle with Emma. I like Emma, but I struggle with her. I do like her, but I will still side eye her, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, here's the thing. When, um, when, uh, when Joss Whedon took over that book, mm-hmm. what I loved is that he actually had Kitty Pride be like, "You bitch, you tried to kill me. I don't forgive you. They might all forgive you. I don't forgive yeah, you. Yeah. And that was me for a long time, right? Like, Emma, I like because she's fun in an 80s diva kind of way, right? Like, she walks in and she's like, it's time to be fabulous, right? And you're like, she's okay, Alexis I mean, She's totally Alexis. She's a cartoon. Um, and I don't mean a comic book character, but she's like a cartoon of a person. Or she became that for a long time. Mm-hmm. And, and so on some level, I, the reason I, Emma appeals to me is because she's so, I use the word absurd a lot, but she's so over the top ridiculous i i don't oh i don't even know how to say this i take her seriously and yet i don't take her seriously right <laughs> like because she does feel to me like a character from dynasty or from falcon crest or from a daytime soap mm-hmm. written by some gay dude who just did a line of coke and is like i'm gonna write these hilarious lines for her right <laughs> um, and so uh i mean that's who i always, and, and so that's kind of why i think emma appeals to me because it's a she brings, as, as reconceived, she brings a certain kind of energy to the, to the room that I, I think would be absent otherwise. True. 
She does. Like I, when I see her in the room, I expect something to be curt and short and just mean. Almost. She's good. She's 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 gonna know how to throw shade. She's gonna have her quip. She's gonna be like, you know, whatever. And so I, I just, it's it's a fun energy for me. Like in in, in one dose. Like I wouldn't want to. I think a whole team like that would be kind of exhausting, especially yeah. the X Men. But it's it's yeah. So I think that I think she appeals to me because of that for sure. Yeah. Um, because she's just I, I, that direction they pushed her in. Also because I think she, in my head she always has this fake British accent. Yeah, yeah. There, I saw something. Well, I know one of the cartoons they gave her a British accent. Right. And I think one of the stop motion versions of the Joss Whedon's comic that she's British, I think, in that one. I know I, she's Bostonian, and I think that's still canon. Yeah. And I like, I also like the idea, the one thing that I did like, and I only remember this because I did draw it, I'd forgotten until I was looking at it recently. Pardon me, was that she had, wow, excuse me, was that she had all sorts of um, plastic surgery. She did all these things to her body at a young mm-hmm. age. Because she was a homely girl, yeah, and she had plastic surgery and the boob job, and da, da, da. and for some reason, I that added this element of um, tragedy to this otherwise cartoon character. Like, oh, she felt that, and then she used. She realized, oh, now I'm pretty. I can use this, and and the messaging of that I thought was deep. Yeah, yeah. So that was that. there. Yeah, that's why you need to like Emma Frost. <laughs> like I said, I I I, I kind of do, but I will always probably choose Celine over her just because Celine is just so. God, I mean, I think of all the things she's done. Like I, the way she was introduced was very interesting because how she was going after Danny at one. She's point. going after Magma. Yeah, but she but she kind of wanted Danny to be her disciple at one. Right, right. I was like, okay. But then when she went after Rachel, I was like, all right, I'm mad at you for going after Rachel. Rachel just went through all this stuff. I think Rachel was 18. I'm trying to, every once in a while, I'll go back and look at their ages because I remember only she was She was 18. She was 18 because I know in one comic, Rogue actually said, I'm 18 when she was thinking about Carol Danvers. And I was mm-hmm. like, if Rogue is, and I remember reading, I was like, I was, I was 16. I was like, so Rogue is two years older than me? I was just like, what in the hell? Um, Lord. Okay, so anyway, everybody, I know y'all listen to us talk. We're just talking today <laughs> about all types of stuff. So, you know, bear with us. But I hope that you are enjoying our conversations. But we'll jump back into the comments real quick. I just want to know, how is everybody doing throughout this entire new world order of stuff? Nick, are you surviving the pandemic? I'm still pissed off about it. I'm pissed off. I'm angry. I'm upset. I'm sad. Confused. Um, so you know, Victor, like, um, what was it? Last Monday? Mm-hmm. Well, actually, two weeks ago. Uh, if you don't know, I have been working on a tour. I have been working on Disney on Ice for since November. And a couple of weeks ago, Thursday we got the call or we got notification that our tour and or our shows in Phoenix were canceled. We're like, okay. So we have the rest of like the week to frolic around in Phoenix, which was cool because 
I love Phoenix. Um, so the next day we got the call that the whole, the rest of the tour was canceled and not just our tour. They canceled all domestic tours under this, uh, under our parent company. And that included, you know, Monster Jam, that included Sesame Street, Marvel, all of them were canceled. And not just domestic, uh, all international uh, tours were canceled too. So we were like, okay, so what does that mean? So basically they say, you have to go home. Everybody has to go home. And that meant me too. So I got home that following Monday. That Friday, I got a call that I was laid off. And not just me, like over 90% of the company was laid off that Friday. So now I'm back in Kentucky, um, waiting for my last paycheck and my couple of weeks of severance, job searching. I just left the house for like the first time since Monday night. Um, I'm, I'm trying to handle it as best I can, but um, I'm just really fucking pissed off about it. And it shouldn't, it didn't have to be as bad as it is. And that's what's really irritating the shit out of me. You know, I've been crying off and on, you know, <sighs> listen to you, sad songs. Do you live by yourself? Do you live by yourself or do you live with people? I know I have a partner. He lives with me. Okay. Okay. So um, it's... Yeah, it hasn't been easy. Wow. Uh, did he, does he have his work? Is he still working? Yeah, uh, well, he had to put on <laughs> his stuff on hold because he has a, um, he makes um, costumes specifically for drag queens. But since nobody can come down for a fitting, he kind of had to put his business on hold until we get out of this shelter in place quarantine but we're all right for right now and you know next month we'll be okay and probably may will be all right it's just after that i'm nervous and i've always been nervous and weird about money so money not coming in at all especially from me i'm like stressed about it uh, that doesn't sound weird at all yeah. I mean, I think most human beings, uh, I think there's an enormous number of people that are constantly concerned about money. So that doesn't sound weird to me at all. Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. But, I mean, I'm keep trying to keep busy with video games and um, Netflix and Hulu. I finished the, uh, the last, the past season of uh, Castlevania. Which oh yeah, how I was have that? Got, oh my <clears throat> gosh, these vampires are something fucking else. <laughs> they are too too much. Um, Hector is a dumbass for falling for Miss Girl. Uh, Alucard should have known better for falling with these uh, humans. Um, Sylvia, I think that's how you pronounce her name, continues to be that bitch. Um. I really want to know about these other female vampires. Like, uh, there was like um, a lesbian couple. 
uh, Strega and I forgot Morena or Marina or something like that. Mm-hmm. I want their backstory. Uh, we had talked about it, I think, either the first uh, season of uh, Castlevania, yeah. where they had all of these different vampires from different cultures. Like they had a Japanese one. They had, uh, I think, a Spanish one. Uh, Strega is Russian, I believe. I want their backstories. Um, and I, I like how brutal and gory uh, this series is. Uh, there's a lot of sex in this series, which is not a, never a bad thing. Um, I'm ready for season four. I also know that they're supposed to do like a, um, a Greek mythology series in the same wow. Very mature. So I'm ready for that. They can go ahead and do Egyptian mythology if they want to. Um, yeah, that's what I've been doing. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah. <clears throat> um, did you guys ever watch Gargoyles? Oh my gosh, yes. <laughs> when I tell you Keith David did the fuck out of uh, Goliath, oh my goodness. That, and that, um, that theme song is so dramatic and it's so... I was, I, I don't know where I was. I loaded that up and then the, the song started playing and I started crying. I was like, what the fuck am I doing? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, Nick, get a hold of yourself. Damn. I love that. Uh, I have uh, um, a work friend of mine was one of the, I think the showrunner on that show or the co-creator, I don't remember. Um, and so I was ashamed to admit, he also uh, uh, did Young Justice. That was his other big time oh. to fame. He's a showrunner on Young Justice. He's really, really good. Um, and I was, I, I was, had to admit to him, I, I said, I remember Gargoyles, but I never watched it religiously. So when I got that Disney Plus, it was one of the things I actually wanted to watch. And I ended up starting it. I was like, oh my God, this is so good. And I got to thinking about like, um, this is going to sound really strange, but all the stuff that's really good out there I have so much respect for now because I know how hard it is to make anything at all. So if you make something and it's actually good and you got producers and actors and writers or artists and they all sort of are on the same page about it, I, I bow to it even more than I used to. I was going through this period a couple of years ago where I was just kind of bi- really bitter and I would see people be joyous about things I didn't like and I was one of those trolls that would be like, well, let me tell you what's wrong with it. <laughs> and then I was just, that's a shitty, shitty thing to do. It's a shitty thing to do to another human being. Um, and so I stopped, I tried to stop being that person. Um, uh, and then the more I thought about it, the more I, th- uh, my friends and I were talking about how just the sheer act of will it takes to make something. And then when it's really good, like I have even more respect for, for it now. And so something like Gargoyles um, just kind of blows my mind that it's happened. Then it's and it was so, a very, it was like a kid's show, but it was, it was a kid's show. They would talk about heavy stuff, and it was very somber and adult. For I think it came on USA, if I remember correctly, it came on USA maybe like 6, 6.30 in the morning, Monday through Friday. Because um, I remember we would be waiting for the bus, and it would come on. But it was very adult theme for it to be a kid's show. And that was a a reoccurring theme with um, cartoons back in the 90s. Like, for example, X-Men, when um, you had Nightcrawler talking about religion and God four o'clock in the afternoon on a kid's show. Right. Uh, you never saw that in a, uh, you never saw that. 
Did you, did you, I'm, this is probably dating me, but did you ever watch the original Robotech? Robotech. I watched parts of it. It, it doesn't remember. matter. It was like an 80s cartoon. It was a, an old um, anime, you know, sort of mecha robots and whatever. It was a def, I, I actually, it's a military show, basically. But it was one of the first cartoons I remember watching when I was 14 or 15 where characters died. And, like, my head, my little 14-year head, like, blew up. Like, it was crazy to me uh, to watch this cartoon and be like, because that had never happened in American cartoons. You just never saw characters die. Mm-hmm. And you're like, wait, they're dead? Rick Hunter's best friend is dead? What? Um, and really thinking that was profound. And then I got to thinking, and I, I'd be curious how you two feel about this. I feel like kids of, at the right age are way better at handling that or it helps them in ways that parents are more afraid of now than ever before. Like, I, I, I don't think it's a bad thing for us to be exposed as kids to heavy stuff. Like, I certainly was in comics, right? In X-Men. That shit was right. heavy. Yeah. Like, really, well, when you think about it. But I we'll think take parents... a look at... Oh, sorry, go ahead. We'll take a look at, um, like, something like Jim. Like, the heavy adult themes. Jerrica mm-hmm. thinks she's cheating mm-hmm. on Rio with Jim, but she's the same person. And then you had, um, I forgot the little girl's name. She had a drug problem. You had Pizzazz and her father issues. You had Jerrica and Kimber going back and forth with that. Um, the whole dynamic with, oh, you're the big sister and I'm just the, the songwriter. You had them dealing with their mom's death. It was, that was heavy. And you always had them, uh, the holograms of some kind of situation where they was damn near getting killed. <laughs> yeah, I just, I don't know. I just think that we were, I'm, I'm feeling nostalgic. I just, or maybe I'm not. I just think kids are, young people watching that stuff are probably more resilient and it probably helps them process way more than I think adults think they can. Or I, th- I feel like adults or producers or whoever worry mm-hmm. a lot more than they should about stuff like that. I feel like they should worry more about good story yeah. Than they should mm-hmm. about like a drug addict on a cartoon. Yeah, I think you're right. I look back at what was around, like the last unicorn. My God, like I looked at that. Recently, <laughs> and like, that was way too heavy for. I mean, you had a harpy with three breasts flying around. You had all these themes of death and and love and everything else. You also had, I think, of GI Joe and GI Joe. Even though no one died, there was fighting. There was like straight up fighting in it. And yeah all types of stuff with that. Um, Secret of Nim. there was a lot of stuff that was about living and dying and, uh, and that was, you know, geared towards us. Living story was about death and his mother was dead and what he had to do to say her, I think he had to say her name in order to save this entire place. And it was just so many things that we grew up with that was just so heavy troll. <laughs> 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 if y'all remember that movie, it's just so many things that we grew up with, which I do believe that made us a little bit stronger about stuff. I remember when they, speaking of G.I. Joe, when they did the G.I. Joe, the movie, I remember Duke was supposed to die, but it was yes. because um, they already killed Optimus Prime. They, I guess it was too much of death that was happening within this. And then after that movie, they, they brought back G.I. Joe, but they changed it to where it wasn't even violent anymore. But I feel like we grew up with that to where it made us a little bit more aware of life and death and, and circumstance and, and risk and 
sacrifice you have to make in things. That's why I think it's kind of odd now that I don't think, and you know, working with students, I don't think they have that understanding as we did. So it is kind of interesting to think about that. I do, I do wonder, I feel like that just might be me being old. I feel like I've sort of crossed that threshold now where, because I, I, the young people in my life constantly amaze me, right? So, and I work with students who are, most of whom are really terrific mm -hmm. and thoughtful. And I mean, their big crime is that they're young, right? And I put crime in, crime in quotes. Like they, I love my kids, basically. And I think 13 years of teaching, I've only had one class where I think I wanted to kill them all and they wanted to kill me, right? Otherwise than that, they're just, they're just generally really wonderful. Um, and always surprising and always thoughtful. And so I always want to be careful that I'm not um, judging them just because I'm now old and they are not, right? Like I, 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 I'm in that loop a lot. And so I, because um, I'd like to believe, since I'm a very judgy person, that I judge old people for being jerks as well as judging young people for being jerks, right? Like just bad behavior is bad behavior. Um, but I do wonder just being in the business from a creative side, like things that they're worrying about. Uh, I remember pitching something and they're like, oh, we can't do this. I'm like, I'm stealing it from this thing back in the 80s. Like, I'm not, I'm not even pretending it's original. I'm just recycling this idea. So it, it was fine in the 80s, but now it's not, oh, well, you know, that we could never do that with this character now. And like, what, Matt, like, what changed? Um, and I, uh, one of this, you know, on Superwoman, which, I really thought it was going to be my last job in comics ever. One of the big goals, I'd just been watching Nurse Jackie, and it's like, I'm going to make Superwoman a drug addict, right? Like, and that was going to be, the whole, we had turned in 24 issues of plot, and that was going to be a big deal, and she was going to have panic attacks. That was going to, that Lana Lang, it turns out, was suffering panic, and so she would take these, it's essentially pills to relax her, and she became addicted to them. And, uh, and that was going to be a huge, that was going to be a big thing. It was going to cause a rift between her and Steele, and she was going to end up dating Lex Luthor, and all, because Lu Luthor was going to provide her a particular drug. Um, and they freaked out about the idea of a superhero being a drug addict, and they're like, "Isn't that the point? If you're a superhero, you should just be able to overcome that." Yeah. And they were very, very nervous about this, right? I'm like, well, sure, but there's a story for that. You can tell that story about how someone over... I wasn't going to leave her in the gutter at the end of that story, right? Like, I wanted a whole circle. <laughs> but well, it's the Valley of the Dolls. Right, right, right. <laughs> I'm just thinking, I just... Apart, again, I'm totally stealing from Nurse Jackie, which is... I loved that show mostly because of how fucked up that lead character was. But I'm assuming, to me, like how probably a lot of people are, right? Like good sides of good and bad and everything in between. Um, and because I thought it was a challenging story to tell. And because she wasn't just out again, like doing lines off the back of, you know, some male hooker somewhere. Like she was taking them because she was dealing with panic and became addicted to them. Blah, 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 off my soapbox. What struck me was how often in the past few years I would pitch something that I'm totally stealing from like the soap operas I used to watch. Mm -hmm. And I would hear, no, we can't do that. No, that's not good. No, the character can't sustain that. And like, what, what are you talking about? Um, not only has the character lived for 80 years, the character will be fine. We will all see that we don't do damage to the character, but 
you behave as if these sorts of stories haven't been told successfully, and they have been. Mm-hmm. And I just fe- see such worry now about certain elements in comics. It, to be fair, I've been sidelined now for a couple couple of years, but when back when I was sort of in and out of it, I, it was one of the reasons I wanted to sort of pull back cause from, from uh, corporate comics, because the decision-making was just always crazy to me. Mm-hmm. Um, Especially about controversial stuff, characters dying, drugs, sex, like the hard stuff. They just were very, very nervous about it. That's interesting, though, because I think about Speedy, for God's sake. Right? Yeah. Right? I mean, he's like putting the thing in his arm in, yeah. what, 1967? Yeah. Or whatever, 1973, whenever that date was. Like, mm-hmm. that stuff has been around for a while. I, w- I was just afraid, uh, odd at how nervous they always were about it. Yeah. So Phil, how, how are you doing through all of this? Like, how are you handling it in New York, for God's sake? Um, so I just had a call with my therapy session, my therapist before this. So um, this is gonna sound very strange. I'm generally strangely fine. Mm-hmm. Um, I realize that for very, and I've, I've known this for a long time, but, and I wonder if this tracks with either of you, since I've sort of been preparing for this since I was a kid, uh, I realized that because of the fa- fantasy worlds that I live in and because of the sort of fantasy that goes on in my brain um, and shit like, you know, what was it, The Day After and The Walking Dead, so much of the material I consume is in my brain. So I'm constantly going like, well, what if? What would happen? So I've created an apartment that's, you know, essentially a bunker other than needing food occasionally, I never have to leave here. You know, like I have resources, I have books, I have, fortunately I have a lot of light, and, you know. Um, but I've, I've been fantasizing about what I would do in a situation like this for a very long time. And so I'm strangely calm about it. Um, not unlike Nick, I am enraged. Pardon me, that's happening at all? Like th- I've never... One of the things that caused my depression, I think, the past few years, of course, I'm sure we could all relate, is the election of Donald Trump, right? And, like, what that has wrought. Um, And my outrage has been all-consuming, which is unfortunate. And uh, so for me, I'm fine in my place. I'll be fine in my place. If I have to stay here for three months, we'll figure out how to make it work, right? Like, I have resources. I'm grateful for that. I'm worried about my cousin who's a nurse who's already overwhelmed um, and her hospital, you know, she sent me a picture of herself with her one mask that she's supposed to use for three weeks. So I have friends that are are making masks for her. Uh, And yeah, just living in a constant state of rage. So, but not for me because I'm fine um, and I will be fine. I'm, I'm much more worried about the world around us and the people around us the fact that our convention center is apparently being converted into a temporary hospital is some real days of future past shit, right? Like, mm-hmm. that's the other thing. I was just thinking, like, it's like, oh, I read this in the X-Men in 1984, right? I know how this story ends. It's not pretty, but it's another example of this sort of apocalyptic fiction that I've been consuming for so long where this all seems strangely familiar. Yeah. Yeah. I kinda- and you, good sir? I, I kind of feel similar, which I was I was checking myself the other day. I was like, am I okay? In a way of like, because to me, I'm like, 
well, you know, another day I'm going to go, I'm going to the store. I am going outside. Like it was, it's this weird defiance of this where I'm like, I'm not going to let it get to me. Um, there's parts of me that is, because I've seen this scenario, like in books or comics, what have you, I'm like, okay, well, then I'm going to remain calm. I'm going to make sure I do this. I got my groceries. I have my yep. Netflix and Hulu. You know, I have, you know, whatever I need to have, I, I'm good. I have a guy, I have my guy that I'm seeing. I can go see him. He's just right up the street. Like, it's like, I have all the things I need. I'm good. My mama's good. My family's good. But it does make me mad that we are in this situation where we could stop this, but because of someone's ego, we're dealing with this. But then a part of me is like, no, but maybe this might be for the best because it will show us where we don't want to be ever again. Right, right. Um, and then maybe we could be a little better the next time. So a part of me is like, I'm surviving. I'm, I'm very fortunate because it's hard to go on Twitter sometimes and to see people talking about the jobs, you know, what, what Nick was saying, but also I had other friends in the same situation. And I'm thankful for, you know, working in education or, or doing what I'm doing, but I do worry about everybody else. I do worry about how they're going to handle this. Um, I, I literally, like, it, it's, it's funny how it's, it's slowly changing people. For example, went to <laughs> Trader Joe's uh, just to get cookies. Um, and it was a line to get in. I got in, got my cookies, but people were like, that's all you got. That's all you're going to buy. I'm like, yeah, that's, that's all I need for right now. I only need this right now. But they were like, why would you come out just for that? I'm like, because that makes me happy. It makes me happy to have these vegan cookies, but it's interesting to see all, all of a sudden you're seeing this, this interesting change in people. It was kind of weird. And it was like, wow, I've never... I, I never thought about that. I never looked at other people's groceries and decided to judge them on it. But it was oh, interesting. So it was kind of interesting to see that or to experience that. Um, but at, at the end of the day, I am I'm just trying to stay sane. So being a creative head, it's been fun. You know, making outlines for different things. Um, I've already written my other comics so actually working on another one just because it's like well i have the time to do it um just keeping myself busy to where i can use my mind and not lose it at the same time if that makes sense um i i have to say i'm i'm the one of the bright spots of this for folks that can work remotely it has to be said because not everyone can do that mm -hmm. is i do see enormous possibilities for creatives mm -hmm. um particularly we're all now so aware of this you know, with, particularly with high-end Wi-Fi or, um, you know, and I'm just talking to our little world, right, or even uh, super myopic, but like uh, digital comics, for example, swipe comics, um, I think books, like distribution methods, teaching through Zoom. Like, I think, I think there's going to be a small group of us who are going to be able to adapt to this really well because we've already started. Mm -hmm. um, I fear for our, in, when I say our, forgive me, I just mean the comic book industry specifically, because I think there has been this need to expand our distribution, the way we distribute comics. I think this is going to force it in a really unpleasant way. But I think 
perhaps even a necessary way. So if we want to get our stories to as many people as possible, we're going to need broader distribution. And I, I'm so sad for my friends in comic book stores. I'm actually really devastated for them. Um, and then conversely, I'm thinking, what's interesting is that, that, that now there's possibility that a lot of people are going to be able to put their material out and maybe even get paid for it. And they're going to be able to reach a much larger audience, perhaps. Like the, the barrier to entry seems even lower in some ways. People getting paid is a whole other issue, but I think there's going to be a small group of creatives that are actually going to benefit from this in, in an amazing way. And that's like, that's just me trying to look at like the upside based on some experiences I have. Yeah. Um, con conversely, there's going to be 300 million people out of work. So I don't know what that means for, you know, consumer base. Um, I think that's going to be a lot a lot more horrific but but the one one of the i was talking talking to a couple friends and about plotting the future and like how do we get cheap comics to people and volume and you know swipe comics and blah 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 i'm like well i think some you know there will be some entrepreneurs who figure out how to do this in a, in a hopefully um uh, an ethical way mm -hmm. right um, that a lot like that allows even greater sharing of our stories. That's that's one of my hopes. I also hope, and, and y'all please comment on this. I also hope that this opens the door to more. We're getting queer comics, but I'm I'm hoping this opens the door to more of it, um, to where more people are doing it, but not to a point where we we've always had erotic queer comics. I feel like this is going to be one of the open doors to like all the other stories that we just haven't seen and people having the time to really flesh out those stories and everything else. I've, I've often said one of my, and this is a highly clear, considering where we are in the world, forgive this. This is a, a purely practical issue. There's a huge fan base for queer material and comics. Statistically, what I've heard is that there are far few consumers. A lot of fans, and there are tons of them who want this material, tend to get it offline and they often don't pay for it. And so there's a big disconnect between, and I think this is true of many, many groups, of queer people wanting material and queer people being able to, being willing to pay for it. Mm -hmm. And so what I'm hoping will happen is that there will be a huge explosion of all sorts of material, including queer material, but at a price point that people can afford. Like so many comic books right now are so expensive that they're made for people that can buy them, right? Which is often not queer people. It's often not queer people of color. It's not often people of limited income, et cetera. Straight people that just don't make a lot of money. They feel like they don't, and that has so much to do with distribution. We charge more because we sell less. So if we could sell a lot more, we could charge a lot less. Like I would love to figure out how to do a 99 cent digital comic of queer content right people would i think 99 cents a month it's sort of like a webtoon kind of thing yeah so i'm talking to someone about that this on saturday as a matter of fact and so these sorts i these sorts of forms i think i'm praying to god will will open up those doors for so much different kinds of content featuring different kinds of people mm. we'll we'll see um i i'm also just pardon me i'm just pontificating now but what we're going through, I think, is going to last for a while. And I'm, 
I'm curious how people are going to be generally in weeks and months to come. Like right now, a lot of people, even though they're angry and sad, they're like, okay, I'm going to watch this next documentary on Netflix or, oh, it's time to catch up on Pan's Maid's Tale. But after a while, I'm curious how, how engaged they're going to be with entertainment. I have no idea. I have no idea at all. And what sort of entertainment they're going to be looking for. Hmm. Yeah. Especially now, just because I know. Usually, usually <clears throat> when there's such a, uh, a downturn in economy, the mm-hmm. entertainment is the first to go. So like you take what I was doing as far as uh, shows, ice shows, we were wiped off like that. And then you go to consumer products or like, like shopping. Um, right. Malls have been shop- shut down. You know, people don't have that discretionary income to spend on whatever. So I, it's hard for me to be in a creative mindset when it feels like something can happen and like, bam, I am, I don't want to say homeless, but damn near. It's just being creative is not, it's like that the Maslow's uh, pyramid of whatever, like being creative is not on my radar right now. And like, I have to be in a place of comfort before I can think about that. And maybe me actually doing something creative will help me not be so stressed out. But as of right now, like, I still have my suitcase that I haven't unpacked. And that was like three weeks ago, two weeks, two or three weeks ago. It's just, it just really fucking sucked how that went down. And I'm still very much heated about that. I I have a question for you, both of you, about this. So, uh, and this has been a a feeling of mine for years and years. and please forgive if I offend, this could be highly offensive, but I call it the Oprah effect because I, I, I watched Oprah Winfrey from the time, you know, from, the, from her first shows. And there was a point during her show, which it was so much about living your best life. Mm-hmm. And in hindsight, so much of that was about how to constantly about how to be happy and often about how to be happy through material acquisition. Not always, but um, as... I, I felt like the more wealthy she became, the more she identified physical wealth with happiness. But regardless, uh, it felt like there was a whole rise of self-help people that were trying to make us all happy all the time. And one of the things I found that we've become not so good at, and when I say we, I'm talking, I feel like Americans and, and maybe even subsets of Americans, um, are not particularly good at anymore uh, is dealing or, or sitting in sadness or anger, right? Like what's happening right now is really fucking shitty. And every time I swipe up on Instagram and everyone's like, you know, it's always darkest before the dawn or they like some other sort of thing that allow for anyone to ever be sad or angry right we very quickly have to move through that and get to happy 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 we have to be happy all the time 
And if we're not happy, it's kind of a failure on our part for not looking at the bright side or like, and I, I've often thought that it was like a really dangerous thing because I think we need to be angry and sad and feel that, right? And that's very therapy also, like, although I felt like this before there, it sounds like a, a, a kind of a therapy session, but I mean it le like legitimately, I'm amazed at how bad people are at feeling bad before they, before they feel good. And if, you're, and if you're feeling bad, the onus is placed on you, right? It's sort of like, you make your own happiness. There's a really interesting book called Stumbling on Happiness. And I, I can't remember the, it was either, it was some PhD who's doing all this work on the science of what makes us happy. And I, I, I bring it up all the time um, because there were all these research studies and um, there, one of the big ones was that happiness is, is caused by three, like at least three things. Only one of them is our outlook. And then there are other external factors that affect our happiness. And if we don't, if we don't incorporate that, surely we react to them a certain way, but if we don't incorporate that, we, we're essentially ignoring or denying the fact that there are these other heavy factors that really affect us on a daily basis. I, I feel like I'm telling you guys something you, don't, you already know, but uh, when I hear you talk about being angry, I'm like, I totally get it. Whenever I see people saying, now's the time to be creative and write that book, I'm like, no, now's the time to fucking get groceries. Now's the time to make sure that you can live for three weeks. And then if you can write that book, good, right? I just feel like um, there's a lot of pressure right now on creatives to be creative. Mm -hmm. um, and for some people, I think they'll be really good at it. And some people, I think it's an unfair expectation. I know for me, I, I do not have a problem sitting in anger or madness. I think it comes very natural for me because I'm such a... Uh, I have a short temper with almost everything. Um, the problem with me is if I sit in it too long, right. then it can just overcome me. And now I, I, my partner, he's one of those people, he can be mad for a second and then he'll, he's over it. Yep. If I am upset with something or somebody, I will sit in it until I don't want to sit in it anymore. That can be a day, that can be a week, that could be a month, that can be six months. It has to, I have to go through all of those emotions and let it kind of detox throughout my body until I'm done with it. So me being angry is not just with this, it's a whole host of things that kind of all happen at once. And it left me kind of shell-shocked. And it's sometimes I feel like I don't have time to be angry because I have to worry about, oh, I have to get a job. Oh, I have to provide, I have these bills waiting for me. I have this and that and whatever. So it's, I understand. I hate when people say, oh, uh, you don't have to be uh, angry, yada, yada, yada. I'm like, well, bitch, let me be angry. Right. Yeah. Unless you want me to be angry at you. And that's not, <laughs> a, I can lump you in. It's not a problem. <laughs> it's, I hate when people do that. I really do. It just, it, it almost, it makes, it makes it feel like my anger is not an issue or it's just something that you just need to get over. Yeah. My, uh, my boyfriend and I had a profound conversation about that because, so we're very, so I'm not an angry person. I tend to be a sad person. 
So I can sit in my sadness. I can be, I can wallow for a long, long time about things um, and be very sad about them for like, it's, um, I'm, I'm very much a cancer in that way. I don't know if you're into astrology, but I'm very cancer. I was, in that about, way. To say, I was about to ask you, are you a water sign? I'm t- I'm, here's this, <laughs> get this. I'm a cancer with Scorpio moon and Scorpio rising. And most of my planets are in cancer or Scorpio. I'm almost all water sign. I always, tell, I always tell people, if you need to know anything about me, uh, all you need to do is read up on Cancer and Scorpio, and any time of the day, I'm one of those two um, uh, signs. But anyway, I'm very Cancerian that way. Um, but my boyfriend is not, like, is not an ink. He's a really happy, good-hearted person. Um, but we were talking today about how he reacts negatively to anger because his dad was a really abusive guy. And so he, any sort of anger in the room, he takes personally, even if it's not directed at him. So we've been having a hard time having certain conversations, even about our political, you know, uh, situation, because I get really angry about it. And he, he just can't, he needs me to dial it down. Like it just reminds him too much of his dad. And we finally had this great conversation about like, listen, if I'm getting angry, I'm not getting angry at you. It's not about you. Like, I'm just, I'm venting because I need to vent. And it has, it's not personal. And I said, we have to be in the space where we can have this conversation between us and voices might rise, but it's, we're not attacking each other, right? We're just feeling passionately about something and it's okay. And it was nice to have that conversation because kind of like your boyfriend, um, he, he gets, he moves through things very quickly. Like I'll sit in my sadness although i do move through emotions very quickly but he he tends to be angry and then okay like his 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 he's an air sign too which is like oh my lord um but he will always go to the next uh happy place and it's been it's actually been a real challenge although we've been doing incredibly well together during this event Uh i mean like y'all i i i can for some reason i feel like because of growing up you know, I feel like growing up in the 80s, you dealt with a lot of emotions too early, um, especially when you're a young, confused gay kid and, and you're, you deal with a lot of things so early. So I feel like I've been dealing with anger and all that stuff so early and jealousy and envy and all that type of stuff at an early way that I can sit in it and evaluate it, absorb it and then I can let it go but I have to sit in it I have to accept it I have to be I have to say to myself I am jealous I am pissed I am mad about this let me deal with it let me put it out there and then let me move on I think I learned I think I learned that from my mom is like okay well this is an ugly situation this is not cute at all we just don't have to just deal with it learn from it and move forward that's not easy for everybody and I don't do that well all the time i think i do struggle with sometimes i have to check myself because i'm i can begin i'm an aquarius i get in my head oh (laughs) i can get in my head that i'm right i know i'm right how dare you even argue with me and i and i see a lot (laughs) i see a lot i'm on twitter because i'm like you know, I have friends. For, so we could talk about politics now. We kind of still kind of threw it in there. When it comes to politics, I'm very passionate. I lucked out and got to work 
throughout the Obama stuff in California, and I really got into it to a point where I'm just in it. But it's always been very interesting to me living in California, because I realized that when I was really in, when I was about to get into it was in 2000, so I was in Kentucky. But then being in a liberal state, a very open place, it's hard for me to, you know, to see anything. I always look at things that, like it has to make sense. It has to, it has to be detailed, makes sense. It has to, I'd be able to reference things. Progressives to me are not, they're like, they're not type A's. They are type F's. And it's hard for me to understand where they're coming from at times. So I know when I have conversations about um, politics and what have you, I, I used to want to say I was, prog I was progressive, but I was like, I'm not. I think I've become a moderate. I don't know. I feel like I've become this interesting thing. But anyway, I feel like right now in this political climate, we are just seeing the ugliness of what it looks like. And I think it really gets into us to where we are, instead of looking at what what's best for the country, we sometimes look at what's best for ourselves. And that kind oh, of- we've always done that. Yeah, but I, I guess I, I used to think I was not that person, but I, I can be that person. And I know, for example, I have many friends who are supporters of Bernie. I'm not. But I have to get to a place where I don't need to tell them why they're wrong. I just have to be, get to a place where I'm like, okay, well, that's your opinion. I don't think he's great, but that, and leave it at that. So I know um, I get very passionate when it comes to politics. Um, you two see me on Twitter. Um, uh -huh. I, <laughs> I get very passionate about <laughs> candidates, people, but I'm trying to scale back a little bit, even though it doesn't seem right. But I'm trying to scale back to where I am listening more than just reacting, if that makes sense. What I've uh, had a problem with, especially with these Democrats, um, is with, okay, they don't like candidate A, they don't like candidate B, they don't like candidate C, they don't like candidate D, they don't like candidate E. I'm like, okay, so who the fuck do you like? And at this point, like, uh, you're going to have to get behind Biden. As much as I don't like uh, voting for a, another white man, it's either him or have this orange motherfucker been here for another four years. So what are you all going to do? If, and it was the whole thing with um, going back to Kamala. Okay, she's a cop. She's this. She's that. Okay, then bitch, don't vote for her. Like, that's, I, I'm so irritated with a lot of Black people. It's like, she's this, she's that. When a lot of people, a lot of that shit has been disproven. And then they go to somebody else. They drudge up all this bullshit. And it's been disproven. Then go, girl, just go vote Republican. Because at, at this point, you don't want to vote a Democrat. And a lot of these people are just irritating the dog shit out of me. And it's very easy to irritate the dog shit out of me. So <laughs> my anxiety and my irritability has been or like a 10. Actually, I'll say an 8 since this whole thing has started. Yeah, it's been it's been interesting to watch because yeah, I mean, most everybody knows I I love Kamala. She's California. I got to know her back when she was helping Obama in two thousand eight. 
So that's why I've always been a big fan. But it's been very interesting to see, you know, how people, how misinformation has played a big role in politics. And we really saw that in 2016. But to see it happen again, but to see it, people fall right into it. Uh, it's kind of interesting and odd. Um, but as you were saying, Nick, it's kind of funny to watch. Let's tear down one candidate, but raise up another candidate who doesn't have the receipts of the candidate we just tore down. <laughs> but let's put that one up there because we think that person's great, even though they don't have any proof. But what I have enjoyed is realizing that Twitter is not life. It is and it's not. And what we see right now is the real people speaking. So I feel like that's been kind of a, a, a kind of a, a good safety net. It's like, okay, the, in, in the real world, people are looking at things a little bit more carefully than maybe some of us on Twitter. So I'm, I'm going to chime in simply to say, did you guys ever read the book, Don't Think of an Elephant? I heard of it. So it's written yeah. by, his name's George Lakoff, and you know who Noam Chomsky is, right? Yeah. Uh, so, so Lakoff and Chomsky were these uh, work partners, they're linguists and ethics professors and whatnot, and they had a big rift over sort of an ethics debate, which is kind of, I, I kind of love that actually at some level, uh, and about intent versus outcome and all highly academic. But um, I was super interested in, I became really interested in voting. I think it was before Obama was elected. Mm -hmm. And so NYU was holding seminars about all this information that they had gleaned from the way people voted. And I was reading Lakoff's book and a bunch of stuff. And the, the recurring theme over and over, and we've all heard it now, and I do think it's true, is that people are, very few people are actually rational voters. They're emotional voters, even if they think they're being rational. They do tend to be one or two, two um, what's it called, subject voters. Like there's one thing that will drive them to the polls more than anything else. And that historically, um, I'm going to say Democrats, progressive, liberals, whatever, um, tended to vote, were, tended to be more likely to be fact-based voters. The problem is um, the whole other part of the country are not. And so they do, they don't, you could the I think even Rachel Maddow did something like this, like about this. You can show them a list of facts and be like, "Here's the truth," but if that doesn't speak to them in any personal way, it's not going to absorb. It doesn't matter. And when they get to that voting level, they're they're still going to vote from an emotional, often irrational place. And I think what we do, and I say we, I guess lefties or left of center, I see it all the time, and it makes me insane. Is misunderstand how people but at least based on what i these three seminars i went to and this reading i've done my sense is that people still vote emotionally they don't vote rationally and i think what we do constantly to undermine ourselves is expect that people will look at facts and make informed decisions so that's not how most people do it um and i wish there was a, a way for left people and Democrats to tell their stories in a different way to make them more meaningful. Um, and so often, uh, what's interesting to me about Bernie, right, and, and I also needs to be said, I'm not, I approach this in that I'm one of those people that distrust politicians generally, because I think American politics as it played 
is a game that will corrupt you ultimately in one way or the other. Like, so I, I, I'm not a purity test person. I don't really care about that, but I think it's a system that is highly corrosive. And I, I don't, so on some level, I expect anyone to be involved in politics to be transformed by it in some way. So uh, in the Biden versus Bernie thing, um, I look at both of them and have just these very strong reactions, but also strong reactions to their followers. And one of the things that's interesting to me about Bernie followers is they are clearly responding to the messaging as opposed to the man, his followers, or even the receipts, as you say, right? Like there's something, the core of that message is highly appealing. And if I was on Biden's team, I would totally, quite frankly, take the parts of those messaging that you can incorporate them and be like, I hear you. And if I get in this, I'm going to put some people on this to see if we can't move that, you know, goalpost a little bit further that way. Mm -hmm. um, Cause these are real problems. Cause I think my sense is that rebellion, that sort of core Bernie voters want to burn the whole system down, right? Like they, they think the system is inherently corrupt and destructive. They don't trust the system at all. And so they think this guy is going to be the one that's going to burn it all down. I don't buy it at all because, because I think the message, while there's something inherently interesting about the message, I think the messenger is not the good, I don't think he's the right one. Um, conversely, and we've, you, and certainly, um, Victor, we've talked, we've argued online about this. Biden is an interesting character because I do think he has a voting record that is troubling for America, let alone African-Americans, um, and particularly some women, right? And I'm not saying, I think now, I, I mean, the reason I think Bernie works, or excuse me, Biden works, is because I have a sense he would surround himself by incredibly good people, smart people, et cetera. So I think his cabinet would be smart. I think his VP nomination will be really good and praying for Kamala, et cetera. Um, and so the reason I trust him more right now is because I think he will surround himself by, I think he will be a stronger cabinet. I think he's better. He's more affable at reaching out to people. But I'm also, he, he, he has problems too. Mm -hmm. And I think what's interesting to me is anyone who's devoted to these two men, I'm, I'm, I'm amazed again because I'm inherently distrustful of, of politics generally. Mm -hmm. So... I'm just kind of like making my check, but like kind of it's, it's less about rooting against one or rooting for the other than just praying that the one I am rooting for does what I believe they're going to do. Right. Like it's not cause. And so I don't know if that makes any sense, but. No, it does. I think that's what I, I go in, I go in knowing that everybody has, everybody has stuff in their closet. I go in with that. A hundred percent. I go in, everybody has that. But I think, like you, I, it's like, but I know Biden has been in this, they both been in it forever. But I, I've, I've said before on Twitter that it's the company you keep. And I look right, at, right. I look at Bernie's people, look at who he has. And I'm like, we go down a list of the things some of his people have done. It makes it hard for me to, it takes away from his message. And I, and I like him. I don't dislike him. I think at times he, he does a little bit too much, but I also think that about Biden too. Um, but I feel like it's the company you keep. And if you're bringing in some of these people that are known to be pro problematic, that, that freaks me out. But then I think about like, yes, but Biden, I can't forget the Anita Hill. I can't forget. 
even though the crime bill and the crime bill is very it's a very interesting thing when you sit down and look at the concept of what it was supposed to be and then what it turned out to be um and then the little things that were helpful and things that were not helpful like it's very complicated and that's why sometimes when i see that argument about the crime bill i'm like i said it's really tough because i think about a lot of policies and things i've seen working in colleges where it's like yeah it's basically this but at the same time it helps that but it really screws up this it's so many little things that i think we have to be very mindful of so i i look at i look at politicians as like yeah y'all are bringing in baggage but i have to look at which but i also look at it from like i from how do i say it i look at it like how i look at myself i have baggage i'm a mess i can't expect everybody to be completely perfect and I can't expect everybody to go in clean with a clean slate. Um, so I have to be honest with myself about who these people are, which I think is why I think Pete worked for a lot of people because he was kind of clean. Um, oh my God, I hated that guy. <laughs> I know people hated him. He was, he was kind of clean to a degree until you got into the whole issue about black folks in, in South Bend. But that's all you need to know about him. And here's my other thing with Pete, and I don't, Pete, if you ever listen to this, I'm happy to talk to you in person. <laughs> I'd be curious what your take is um, um, as, as two black men. My take on Pete, right, is that his shtick was he was the gay candidate, right? Um, and he, to me, epitomized performative, um, what's it called, that sort of politics of um, acceptability politics, right? Mm -hmm. Like, he was the gay guy that straight people wish all gay people were, right? Like, mm -hmm. he's in the military, speaks seven languages, he's married, so... And I think when you're married off, you're neutered. We've had this conversation in, in public perception, so he's not out fucking around. Um, and he's, like, affable and kind of good-looking, right? Like, he acceptably good-looking. And it's sort of like... Um, and my feeling was what made him special was being gay but my also sense was if he had to choose in legislation between something that sort of sustained white evangelicals and gay people i truly felt like he would default to the white evangelicals even if he was compensating for not wanting to be the gay president i get the sense that that was a group he identified with almost more mm -hmm. and i just thought I want my first gay president to be a queer president, if that makes any sense. And I want them to have a perception of the world where their queerness on some level is front and center, as, as opposed to this one check on their list and something that they would dispel if they could take a magic pill. Um, and I just found also the more polished he became, the less I believed him. Because I felt he's a guy that's going to get swept up in that machine and he's going to be and i i stopped trusting him the more polished he became like when he first started out i was like okay kind of interesting um but i yeah i just I, I i never trusted him to do the right thing when it came to gay people the issue i had with pete is a gay people assume that because oh he's gay and you're gay, then you should just automatically vote for him. Yes. I'm like, no, that's not it, girl. First of all. Second of all, 
like you said, Victor, his um, stance with Black people in South Bend, whew, I, that was, if I needed another reason not to vote for him, that would be another one. Mm-hmm. And then this whole, it reminded me of, oh, what was it? How, how if you're, if a Black person or a Black uh, candidate is there, then you automatically have to vote for him. Mm-hmm. Which is more or less, for me, yes. But if I dig down deeper and look at their politics, it's like I'm not gonna vote for like a Ben Carson or <laughs> something like that. <laughs> but I, the people that said, "Oh, he didn't do anything," and for us for South Bend, I was like, okay. So I know that he's not gonna look. He might do queer people justice, but he only might do queer white people justice. So I can't, logically for me, I can't vote for him just on that one issue. He has to check all of the boxes and he just didn't do it for me. Yeah. Phil, you said something where it was like he became, like the the polished look of him, that was kind of freakish and kind of Damien Thornish almost, because it was like, yes. It was like, here he goes with, oh, he had this issue with, with Black people. His Instagram, because I did, I, I, I follow everybody's Instagram. So I was like, his Instagram was like, all these Black folks. And I was like, well, that's really funny. Or when he would like speak after some session, he would have like a lot of Black people behind him. I'm like, this is a machine. Like, this is a machine that is fake. But it was kind of scary to see that. Um, and here's the thing my sense is they're all machines yeah some are just better at it than others and i yeah. i used to less obvious i feel yeah. like again i i tend to be highly skeptical of politicians running because i think i think in order to appeal to a mass of 300 plus million people you're gonna have to bluff you're gonna have to assemble you're not always going to be able to say what's on your mind you have to be like nothing makes me crazier i could be a huge asshole than watch, having to watch like a presidential candidate eat a Philly cheesesteak, right? I don't care. I don't care if they cut it. I don't care how much cheese they have on it. Like there's food, te- the regional food test to see how much a candidate eats like the local people yeah. makes me insane yeah. because it's such a bizarre barometer of like, of connectivity because most of them I'm thinking probably don't eat Philly cheesesteaks a lot, right? Like that's not their, their main meal. Um, so there are these weird performative things that candidates have to do that just make me insane. Uh, but which goes to, and I want to talk about Kamala just because I wanted to run this by you. So one of the things that was, and I think we might've, I don't know if we had this, I, we might've quibbled about this on Twitter. Mm-hmm. I see this whole political game like, outwit, outplay, outlast. It's kind of like Survivor. Mm-hmm. And it's part of the outlasting is you have a, a really money-driven media, right, who have their media darlings. And for, whatever, for a variety of reasons, I know folks that work in the news and they're pretty good, but I, I know how that system works. And part of the outlasting is becoming one of their darlings. You have to play that game really well. And I was thinking about candidates who played that or who didn't play that. Um, and I was, you know, it felt to me like one of the things that it, w- it was, what, what derailed her? Was it that one shot by Tulsi Gabbard 
Because remember she was rising hot, high and then she had the one yeah. bad debate. And it felt like, it felt like recovery was difficult, I think, because the press had, oh, well, Kamala just got knocked off her high horse. Yeah. And there's a ton of shit. I feel like anti-Black women in that mm. already. But if I was like her advisors, I'd be like, you have to get on this media horse and you have to get in front of like every, you have to play this, the media game as much as you have to play the, the sort of political game. So I keep, I always look at these competitions like, yeah, Survivor. Yeah. You know, who, and sometimes, sometimes like outlasting means it's sort of like how Andrew Yang just kind of slid under the radar. Yeah. Or Tulsi Gabbard was seen as a useful idiot, right? Like yeah. uh, my friends in the news were saying she's called a useful idiot by the Russians because she's that dolt that's out there being irritating and just sticking around, right? Yeah. Like, and somehow is a voice. Yeah. And so the one thing I, I, I always think about Kamala is I wish, and I have no idea what happened behind the scenes, but I'm just talking about watching her in media, that she had a stronger news media game, right? Yeah. Uh, earlier yeah. on. Because um, yeah. I feel like she was somebody who got kicked off Project Runway way too early. Yeah. Like I, she, had, she had one bat, she had one bat outfit, yeah. and they were like, okay, right. get out. Yeah. What I, I do agree with you. I think the issue was you also have, if you if you want to talk about conspiracy theories, that Russian push of oh sure uh -huh. of the cop as well as this record thing. What was interesting was I felt when Kamala would speak, she would say like, "Well, my record speaks for itself. People know the truth." I'm like, "Well, I know the truth, but everybody don't." I, I can tell yeah. you right now, everybody doesn't. And what I wish she would have done was literally took that moment and started talking about this is what I could, this is what I did, this is, this is the record, this is what I have. I also think the media could have been a whole lot better towards her because I look back at, and one of the reasons why I was so lit on Twitter is because there were times you literally saw someone write an article and say, Elizabeth Warren did this first. You're like, um, no, Kamala did that first. Or you will see where it was like this interesting bias um, I'll never forget when there was that queer, um, that it was a, some queer event. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Where that one woman, Liz, her name was Liz. She in, interviewed both Kamala and Elizabeth Warren, and literally somewhat attacked Kamala. And I'm like, Kamala has the the out of all of them has the receipts for LGBT work than any of them combined. And I'm like, you're attacking Kamala on these things. Elizabeth Warren comes on here and you treat like all the things she hasn't done like gold. And I was like, wow, the media is really, they're not really fair towards her. And it, it really played up the whole issue of black women and how black women are treated when it comes to politics and what have you. But it was also fascinating to see that I wish her team was stronger. I wish she had Hillary's team um, that would have got her in front of them to say like, this is not my record. This is not, this is not that. Right. Um, but it, I will say this, it was disappointing to see so many Black activists, alleged activists, I will say, jump on oh. that and really not vet her record, but yet they did push people like Warren or Bernie, who didn't have a record at all. When it came to Black issues, did not have a record. And it really bothered me. That bothered me a lot. So that's why I was really lit on Twitter. But I think in the future, if, if she is vice or if she whatever she will do, she needs to have a stronger team and she needs to make sure that these little pieces about her record are 
extinguished. I also think, well, what you're saying, and this goes back to Outplay out at Last, I don't think the media is fair. I think they're sort of you know, swimming in bias for a variety of reasons, not just racial bias, um, which is why I, exactly what you just said, uh, you have to be really smart about that and be like, Kamal, they're gonna go after you for this. You're a black woman. Um, you've got a thousand steps higher to climb than this other woman. So we gotta get you up there faster, right? We gotta get you on the elevator. And this is how we're going to do it because they're not going to treat like you go in there. I think you have to go in there knowing they're not going to treat you well and that they are going to respond to any piece of low hanging fruit and any dirt. Um, and they're going to have a, a shit ton of bias. It is interesting to me. I think just going back to that, and I know you're not a big Warren fan, but just going to bias generally. And there was that series when it was basically down to Bernie Warren and uh, Biden or a smaller group of people. And Warren was like constantly like left out of the lists of candidates. Mm. And I was just like, to me, that actually seemed shitty as well. Like that seemed deliberate. Like you do it once, I get it. But these are news outlets talking about the candidates and Warren's name was left out more than once. And I'm just like, how does, how did that happen? Um, for no other reason than it, uh, you know, she was one of the, the women has, you know, running for can like, running for this office. I do think it's very interesting. Oh, here's my question. Sorry. What was your take on Cory Booker? <laughs> I didn't care for him. I thought his candidacy was um, a waste of time. I thought he could do much more um, better as far as a senator. Mm -hmm. um, not everybody needs to be president. Not everybody needs to have a um, a candidacy for presidency. Uh, just stick to what you're good at. And he was good, what was he, in the Senate? Yeah. Stick there. Um, I thought it was a waste of time and effort. You know, I kind of wish, and we do this to our students. When students run for student government on campus, there are things they have to have in order to run. They just can't mm -hmm. And I feel like that's what we need to do in the future is to say, you have needed to be in Congress for this much. You are something to where it's like, there are some guidelines. Cause I did feel like when it came to Corey, I was like, Corey, you're good, but you need some more. I need, I need more time. I need to see you do, I need to see you in things for me to be like, okay, the next step for you is this. I think of my role, what I do now, because of my experience in student affairs, my role as an associate of student life makes sense versus like, oh, okay, I just showed up one day after I got my master's, I'm going to be the director of student life. No. Right. It, so well, I, feel like, I mean, he is, he's a senator, right? Like, yeah. it's, not, it's, not like he's, it's not like he's a mayor from South Bend, sure. Indiana, right? <laughs> like, you yeah. know, he, he is a senator with a senatorial experience. Yeah. So... He's not completely, and trust me, I'm not, it's not yeah. that I disagree with you, and, and he has his, his own issues. Um, I enjoyed his point of view a lot, um, more than anything he said about particularly public policy. Um, and so I can also say as a quick side, I do realize how many people are, this is, this is maybe unfair, but you know, as we go back and forth on Twitter or watching Twitter, I'm like, I, I don't think a lot of people vote on policy. I don't think they're looking at policy positions going, you know what, I agree with this person, 80%, I'm gonna vote for them. Yeah. I really, like, that's my, like, 
a lot of the people that I'm sort of rooting for, I'm like, okay, it's because I think, and they're policy people. And then I feel there's a, a really interesting book on macroeconomics. Oh no, it was mac, micro trends of the future. And it kept talking about how the president's, the role had become more ceremonial mm-hmm. and how important, like almost symbolic. And so, so you need, it's one of the reasons I think Bernie's terrible because <laughs> even if like I believed in all that shit, and some of it I think is actually kind of interesting. Um, I, I'm particularly interested in in healthcare as as it stands now. Um, I think he's he's not he's not an incl- inclusive or inspiring figurehead, right? Yeah. I think one of Warren's big issues we, we might have talked about this is she tragically came off like a school marm who was always scolding you a little bit, right? Yeah. Like so whatever some of her policy decisions, I think that's actually pretty good. Like I just, she would never be that figurehead that people would warm to. Mm. Um, I actually think one of the reasons Biden is good is because I think he's a good, like he's a warm personality. And I think that office seems to require that these days. Um, I think one of Kamala's sort of interesting, this is me as white gay, you know, 50 year old, in her early interviews, uh, because she didn't have much time. I just felt like she got kicked off the island too soon. Um, she did not come off as a particularly warm person in mass media. Like, if you watched her personally, you're like, oh, it's all there. But in those interviews and debates, um, I, I, I could see how white people like me would respond to her, right? Like, uh, and I was thinking about how much that cult of personality seems to matter now when it comes to electing a president. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'm not saying that's good or bad. I'm not I actually think it's kind of terrible because what I really want is someone that's going to get the job done. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and we've seen what cultural personality has done for us now. Like we're all quarantined, right? Like that's the last thing we need. But yeah, um, uh, yeah. I don't know where I'm going with that. I'm babbling. <laughs> You're also very gracious for letting me babble. Thank you. <laughs> well, I mean, no, I, you know, I, I love to talk, and I know we're just enjoying stuff, but I know. We, we, we have things we need to do. So I wanted to jump into things that you're doing, Phil, because you're, what do you got coming up? And I know you have this big Wonder Woman project, which I wish you quit teasing us with because every time you show anything of this, I'm just like, I don't, I'm like, you're, what is going, your mind, your mind with these Amazons. Can you talk a little bit about that? And- I can. I'll, I'll send you something when we're done just to give you a bigger picture. So um, anyone that knows who I am knows for, gosh, about two years, I've been working on and off on a, on a Wonder Woman graphic novel with Kelly Sudikonik, who's the author of Bitch Planet. Mm-hmm. And it's a history of the Amazons. And historically, it's great because it's the first time a woman has ever authored a history of the Amazons at DC Comics. They've had women write... Uh, stories about Wonder Woman and her childhood, but never her people. Yeah. So Kelly took what is essentially the George Perez mythology, um, tweaked it in these really amazing ways. I like saying that because um, for fans of the George Perez stuff, it's all there. There's a couple radical shifts, but most of it's all exactly what you remember, but with, you know, just through this feminist lens, so that certain sequences, and it's one of those things where you read it, you're like, oh, of course, right? Of course, this is how a woman would see this event, right? Mm-hmm. And I, which I just, I, it makes me love it even more. Um, because of the way I've been working and because I was developing this show on the side, uh, and because it took 
us a long time to sort of come up with, it took us a long time to get started. Uh, the book was announced before a piece of script had been written or before any art was done. So we were sort of catching up with the announcement. But um, I've only been showing snippets because I think it's a book I've ever written and I don't think too much because like, for example, the first 40 pages are all two page spreads. And so I want it, yeah, so, and some of that has panel work on it, but they're all interconnected pages. So it's sort of hard to show stuff without revealing others. And I didn't think, it, honestly, it, I didn't think it was gonna take me this long. I thought it would have been done in the summer and I'll be done probably another month or two. I think they're trying to coordinate the, the release around the Wonder Woman movie. And mm -hmm. so that got pushed back. So our book's getting pushed back, et cetera. It's, I mean, I, I look at it, I'm like, how did I do that? That's so stunning. I mean, stroking my ego, it's really beautiful, but I haven't really revealed much because I've only teased because I really want it to be impactful when you all see it. Um, because I think it's fantastic. And I love, and I say this and it sounds really cheap, but uh, I love that script. I was so inspired by that script that I wanted every moment to be right. And so I, I sometimes will take two or three days on a single panel just to make sure that it's right. And, and I don't know if you've ever had the opportunity to work on a project like that. My last several things at DC have all been derailed or messed up or fucked up. And um, I was just like, I don't, I don't want to, I want to work on something without, I, I told them don't schedule it until we're close to being done. Cause I haven't had anything that felt good for a long time. And this feels great. Mm -hmm. So, and I just, like, you're one of those people. I think there's this, um, my friend Bobby and a son of Baldwin, yeah. Nicholas Scott, like there's a few people. I'm like, I just want them to love this. Mm -hmm. So you're one of the people that's always in my head when I work on this. Um, Bobby, uh, Nicola Kelly, I really want to to love it, and then a couple of other Wonder Woman fans that I know and I adore. Um, do you know Boston Blake? Yes. Yeah. So Boston, I really want him to like it. Um, yeah, and that's it. So I feel like this is this is going to be the my my big. You know, I don't know if it'll be my swan song at DC, but <laughs> I'm hoping I'm that will be my last big. I got into uh, into DC Comics to work on Wonder Woman. And I feel like I want to leave on a big, epic Wonder Woman project. And it's it very looks, pretty. It, it it looks wonderful. There was this one thing I saw with like a bunch of snakes and this woman standing there. I believe there were snakes. Oh, yeah. And yeah, I yeah. was like, okay, I don't know what this is, but I have already created this story around just that alone. I'm one of those people who I can look at things and like create a story by just anything and I was like this is beautiful it looks beautiful the pictures you were showing Hippolyta I, I'm ready I, for can it. I tell you Kelly <laughs> Sue's take on that character blows she is exactly who Hippolyta is no one will be mm -hmm. everyone will read Hippolyta they will they will see her and they will read her but she has a new just a take on her that just to me elevates that character and just a couple of spins where I'm like, I never would have dreamed, right? Like, and it's, I'm, I, I don't want to oversell because I don't want it to be like, and she has three arms. Like, it's nothing like that. Mm -hmm. It's just these little character spins and moments that are so beautiful. So Hippolyta is great in this book. Um, the snakes thing, I will joke, I have not shown, there's several spreads. So it turns out 
I don't know if Demeter or Demeter, I don't know how you pronounce her name, um, was a snake goddess. So uh, one of the things we try to do with all the gods, which has been done before, and so we're doing our own take on it, is kind of amp up a lot of their primal aspects. And so um, I've never drawn so many snakes in my fucking life. <laughs> like literally just panels of just snakes and snakes and snakes. And they're beautiful. Unfortunately, it's only a small chunk of, it's, one, it's this one particular scene, but that, it's from that scene. And I was just like, if I never draw another snake again, it'll be too soon. But it's, it's great. Yeah. And I have this whole, whole new love for, um, so sorry, some of the minor goddesses like Hestia, who, oh. um, like I was just doing some research and it turns out her name was spoken, well, according to one scholar, her name was spoken more than any other god because you always had to praise her when you walked into a house because you were walking to the home mm. and over a meal. Mm. So because she was providing. So people would often, instead of saying like, you know, thank you, instead of praying to God, they would give thanks to Hestia for having a, a home and a place to eat. I'm like, suddenly I love her more than I've ever loved her before. Right. Like I never really thought about her. Now I'm like, wow, that's so, she's so amazing. So and I think that was one of our big connections was our love for Wonder Woman. I grew up with her. And I think of the first Wonder Woman comic I had was when she fought Arana and Arana won. Yes! That cover was like the first thing I remember seeing and I bought it because I was like, Wonder Woman's crying. Her, <laughs> maybe her, her outfit is torn. And there's this woman standing there laughing at her with her mother putting you know, the tiara on her. And yeah. The story was very short-lived. Like, I look at it now, I'm like, okay. But I love the fact that we had those type of stories and my obsession with Wonder Woman just grew. But when I learned about Nubia, my mind was totally different. So I'm, I'm telling you this now. I don't know if they're named in this first volume. I will send you... So Arana and Nubia are in it. Okay. Um, I have dra I've drawn their design. Nubia, you should be prepared looks radically different but she's mm -hmm. fabulous mm -hmm. but she's not she you will you will see how i call her back but mm -hmm. she looks different mm -hmm. um in a way i think you'll be fine with uh and arana is also there also looking different the, the what each of the amazons rather than sort of being has a very i've designed them all essentially to be action figures None of them look the same. They all wear this highly individualized armor, um, lots and lots of details and, and that are specific to those characters. Um, so my hope is that you, that you are not assaulted um, by the difference. <laughs> I'll send it to you. Again, I don't think you'll hate yeah. it. It's just, uh, I wanted her presence there and I wanted Arana in there. And so they both make this appearance, just so you know. I don't know if Kelly will ever do anything with them because it's still prehistory. It's still yeah. their creation and, and it's their early days. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if, you know, Arana will stick around or Nubia will stick around to take Diana's crown, but uh, I wanted them to be there. Yeah. I mean, I'm fine. I mean, I will always be a big fan of Nubia. I love the fact that I'm one of the few people who has the doll. <laughs> I didn't realize that. That is a precious gem, that doll. <laughs> It was hard to get. I will never forget the first time I got it. I got it for eighty eight dollars to nineteen ninety nine on eBay. Didn't think about it how serious it was, and I sold it. 
Wow. I was like, oh, somebody wants it also. I got $200 for it. And then when I started reading her history, I was like, wait a minute. I need it back. <laughs> it was like $280 something dollars I had to pay to get it again. But I was like, nope, I deserve, I deserve that punishment for selling it when I had it for $88. So it's, she will always be a character that I love. I love that you still feature her in some of the, of, your, of the drawings you would do or like the big picture of, of Wonder Woman. And I always wish they would have revisited that in some, I mean, I know they have, but I wish they would have kind of gone back with that. I know they did Donna as her, like, this is your mirror sister. Right. And I get that. And I will always, and by the way, Donna to me is the only Wonder Girl. <laughs> I know people like Cassie. I'm like, okay, that's cute. But Donna is always Donna. Um, right. But yeah, you know, it's, I'm so excited for you with this project. I am so excited for this project. I cannot wait. It will uh, be it's it's near completion. Um, as I say, when we're done, I'll send you. I'm gonna I'm gonna finish tweaking some drawings and I'll I'll, se I'll send you some stuff. Just I'll, I'll actually probably share it pretty soon on Instagram. Because um, I know everyone's like, "What are you doing? Where? What? Like, what are you working on?" Because it's taken so long, and part of it is like you know i was teaching and doing this other gig at the same time and now the past year or so i've really focused on it um and it is a labor intensive job i mean trust me i'm lazy and you know i spend way too much time watching porn but at the same time <laughs> certain you know like some of those designs have really did take me a very long time to draw and conceive and there's easter eggs in almost every panel or page any anywhere where there's an amazon you're going to see some any the, the the I can't wait for the DVD extras because there's so many extras. Mm. Hera is hilarious because she doesn't she never appears in the same outfit twice. So so every time what's what's the joke? Um, like every time she sh oh she's like Princess Amidala from that first Star Wars yeah. movie. So every time she shows up into a room, she's like oh hello. She's kind of I mean she's told drag queen, but like never anything small. She's always. Uh, ready to for like I, she's great but those designing those costumes was has been a lot but uh i think she has seven or eight of them so i i want the hera action figure line because i think it'll be hilarious yeah i will always love hera from the super friends episode when it was when it was but she her. was so mean to her yeah she was so mean. i was like why are you like what is your problem like you are right. causing all these problems for nothing i remember that oh my god i should i should find that on youtube tonight and totally watch it yeah that would be great that is so well, um, anyway thank you for your support i also wanted to, i do want to say even though we've gone back and forth on twitter yes um i adore and so you actually when i moderated this panel that you were on years and years ago you yeah. literally changed my perception of the world i'm like your <laughs> oh your God. presence there made me think you expanded the way i think about things in a really really broad fashion and an important fashion so you believe it or not you were in my mind like i i tend to think of you in many ways as sort of you taught me a lot. And so I'm really appreciative for that. Oh my goodness. Because it makes me think about, you've made me think about things in so many different ways. And so I actually love following you on Twitter. And um, uh, even if I react negatively, I'm, you always make me think. And I, you always check, you always make me check me. And I, I will always be appreciative to you for that. Well, I, I wow. 
I appreciate. I I don't know what to say. I appreciate that. Um, That's very true. And I would say for you, you've all. I mean, since the day the first time I met you was back at your Comic Con when you drew Storm, and I remember I, I walked up to you and I said that I was like, "You, this is the best Storm I've ever seen," or something like that. And you were like, "Thank you." Yeah, <laughs> I, I think you would say you were worried about how people will look at her or think of her or something. And I was like. No, this was me and my friends of ours was like, this is like a great storm. Like this is her hair and the cape. It's all the things that we love. But I've always your art, your writing, your everything brought me back to Wonder Woman because I was I I didn't read that for years. I think the last thing I really read was when she discovered um the other Amazons in Egypt. Uh, yeah, yeah. And that was the that was, that was the last time I read it. And when I saw your work, I was like, I have to get back into this because whoever's doing this art is giving me everything I want. The hair, the look, the, the characters. The fact that you had the different goddesses, not just the Greek goddesses, but there were other goddesses that were yeah. in there. That was just amazing to me. And your art, I always said that I would, if I ever had a chance to feel to draw any of my characters, I would die happy. So, oh, well then we should plan on that. No, let's, let's, let's do something of that. Don't say that because I will take you seriously. No, I would, I would actually, that would make me very happy. So uh, let me finish this graphic novel. Oh, you know what? Um, hold on. I'm going to have to wrap up. I'm so yeah. sorry this is so abrupt. Uh, um, uh, my food just got delivered. But I do want to take you up on that. Yes. Um, so give me till the summer. And hopefully all this nasty shit will have died down a little bit. And I might actually be able to see you. But even if I can't, I would love to draw your characters. Great. We can talk about that in the future. But Phil, thank you so much for being with us today. You are amazing. And you, you have literally, you literally make me, you've made me rethink the way I see the world. So I thank you for that. All righty. Well, again, thank you. Um, where can we find you before you go? Where can we find you on the interwebs and in that? I'm way on Twitter all the on Twitter too much and on Instagram too much. Is Phil Jimenez NYC at both of them? Um, uh, uh, Twitter, uh, Instagram is mostly just pictures and images and random stuff. Uh, Twitter, I definitely get more political. So, yeah. and Facebook, I try to avoid. <laughs> um, but I, I've been there a little bit more lately. But those two places, Twitter or Instagram, are the place to find me. All right. Well. Bill, thank you again. Go and eat. I will, uh, uh, yes, this is the first time out of my apartment in 11 days. Except for, I have to go down to the lobby to get the food. So it's going to be very interesting. <laughs> uh, wish me luck. It was great seeing you. I'll talk to you soon. All right. Okay, bye-bye. Bye. Bye. All right, well, that was fun, Nick. Mm-hmm. Yes, it was. Yes. Had a good time today. Um, yeah, so I hope y'all will and y'all will enjoy this. This is us just talking and just having a good time. And again, this is Phil Jimenez, a, a legend in the comic book world, who has given us so many great things. So oh, I feel relaxed. Like I just had an edible. <laughs> well, let's go ahead and wrap up. Where can I find you on the uh, internet? You can find me, Wonderman5, on Twitter. His name is Victor on Instagram. And I'm on Facebook. I'm about to, I might have to let that go. <laughs> so, <'cause it's> <laughs>
that's getting too much. I, when you have your high school friends, your family and college friends and current friends arguing and past people you slept with, that's a lot. So, you know, you have to, you have to, have to put a limit somewhere. Right. And you can find me on the internet. I'm at Porter D.A. Pizzazz on Twitter, Porter Pizzazz on Instagram, and y'all can find me on Facebook. All right. Well, that is it, y'all. Um, we will see y'all soon. And, you know. Follow us on Twitter at MegashamePod. Yep. Um, rate us, subscribe, and all that greatness. And, you know, y'all stay safe. Stay together. We'll get through it. As Peggy LaBelle said, I believe I'm going to make it. <laughs> all right. Take care, y'all.